there are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So I know I've told you about this before, but when I was six or seven, I used to sneak into my sister's room and listen to her latest albums on her fancy double cassette playing boombox. <laughs> I have told you about this, right? Definitely. And she was in high school at the time, so I was introduced to all the important stuff this way. It was Michael Jackson's Thriller. I think that was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Though it had come out a few years earlier. So we're talking 1986 and some of the biggest hits. There was Madonna's Papa Don't Preach. Janet Jackson's What Have You Done For Me Lately, Bon Jovi's You Give Love a Bad Name, <laughs> Cindy Lauper's True Colors. I mean, the list goes on and on. And you're planning to name them all, I'm guessing. I, I could, I could. And we're not talking about any of that Lionel Richie stuff that I had to listen to in my mom's Toyota Cressida. This was the good stuff. That's so much revolutionary music at such a young age. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, one of them that I haven't mentioned yet is the Bengals' Manic Monday. And if you remember, Susanna Hoffs was clearly frustrated because she was having this dream about kissing Valentino and then her stupid alarm goes off. And of course, it's just another manic Monday. I mean, she, she wished it was Sunday because as, as you know, that, that's her fun day, but no, it was, it was Monday. It was, it was Monday. It's tragic. Yeah. I mean, I learned so much from my sister's music collection. We might even have to do an episode on this at some point, but. The lesson was clear. She did not like Mondays. And <laughs> she wasn't alone. I mean, there are obviously days that we learn to like and dislike pretty much universally. And when one of our brilliant researchers, Autumn Whitefield Madrano, asked the question a few weeks ago, what are the best and worst days of the week? I thought, well, I know what the Bengals would say, but what does science say? And how did the whole seven-day week come to be in the first place? So these are just a couple of the things we're going to talk about today. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. 
I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hathikere. And on the other side of that soundproof glass is our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. Now, today we're asking the question, what's the best day of the week? You know, according to science, and maybe we'll throw in a few opinions here and there as well. Yeah, this one could turn into a heated debate. Well, we'll see. But before we get started, I wanted to recognize a few winners from our Weirdest College Courses episode, you know, where we asked listeners to tell us the weirdest college classes they'd taken. You remember Mm -hmm. this? Yeah, definitely. All right. Here are the top three, all of whom will be getting part-time genius T-shirts. The first one comes from Alicio Martinez. Uh, The class was called Math in Square Dancing. What? Yeah, I thought this was awesome. It was taught at North Central College in Naperville, Illinois. And I don't know how anyone hadn't really thought about how to combine two universally loved things, you know, math and square dancing. (laughs) It's pretty great. I I like that. So you'll be getting one, Alicio. Now, uh, Yvonne Jones a class called Goldberg's Canon Making Whoopi at Bates College. <laughs> Isn't this great? It's about all about the lifetime work of Whoopi Goldberg. That's such a good class. All right. And then the third one from Rachel Shine, a class called Snow Skiing at Texas A&M. Now, that doesn't seem that weird of a uh-huh. class, right? But as she explained, there was no snow and there were no mountains or hills. It was taught on AstroTurf and it was usually what? hot. So they wore shirts and uh, T-shirts and shorts. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So those are our top three. It's so much fun to hear from you guys. Congrats to our winners. Remember to keep the interesting facts coming to Part-Time Genius at HowStuffWorks.com or find us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also call our 24-7 fact hotline, 1-844-PT-Genius. All right, let's dive in. You know, I think we need to start by acknowledging what a strange thing a week is. Uh, So what do you mean by that? I mean, well, it's one of those things that honestly I hadn't thought that much about before. One of our terrific researchers, Autumn, pointed it out. And that's the fact that a week is this imperfect human created unit of time that falls in between two units of time that nature dictates. So you have the day dictated by Earth's rotation on the shorter side. And then you've got the month that's roughly dictated by the lunar cycle on the longer end. Yeah, it's definitely weird. And doesn't pretty much the whole world use a seven-day week now? Yeah, even in places that uh, don't use the Gregorian calendar, you find that they're using this too. And, and it's something that we'll talk about in a bit. And, and that's how contemporary weeks are built around pivotal days. And even though you might find the pivotal days being different from one society to another, there's still some peak that's constant. And the rest of the week is built around that. Well, we should definitely talk about why the world settled on a seven-day week. But first, can we look at why creating a unit of time that functions between a day and a month is so problematic? I mean, the fact is there's no way to divide up that time evenly in a way that it recurs regularly. A lunar cycle is 29.5 days long, meaning that if we made all months 30 days, leading to, you know, 10-day weeks, we'd still be off. It's just such a strange thing. No matter what you propose as a replacement for the seven-day week, there's going to be some irregularity. Yeah, and the 10-day week thing has definitely been tried plenty of times. Yeah, it was interesting to get a refresh on this during our research and to see how earlier societies tried to address the irregularities. In some, they just solved the issue kind of how we do with leap years. Like the ancient Greeks had these 10-day periods, and occasionally they just be nine days long to make the adjustments. Yeah, and at first glance, you'd think that using a 10-day or a 5-day week could more closely pull off an even division of the lunar month, you know, more so than our 7-day weeks. And And that's true, but then you have another problem. Oh, yeah, this is fascinating. You're talking about temporal regularity. Yeah, exactly. So Eviatar Zerubbabel, he's the author of a book called The Seven-Day Circle, and he talks about how temporal regularity is such an important part of the development of human race. And as he puts it, quote, imagine, for example, having to cancel regular Sunday family gatherings or Tuesday classes every month or so 
due to the lack of a Sunday or a Tuesday on that particular week. I guess it's kind of similar to what leaplings have to deal with. You know, those people who are born on February 29th, except it would happen far more regularly and it'd also be so much more inconvenient. Oh, definitely. I mean, imagine how difficult it would be to coordinate activities that should happen more than monthly, but less than daily. I mean, it, right now it's just so easy to remember something like, you know, I've got soccer practice on Tuesdays or something like that. I mean, there'd be some clear adjusting there. But as Zerubbabel points out, it's one thing to think about the weekdays tethered to sport or hobby. But it gets even more important when you're thinking about it for basic survival, like... Let's say you had to ride to town a couple of times a month just to get provisions from the farmer's market. If it takes you two hours to get to town, you definitely want to be sure that when you get there, the market's open. So knowing that the market's on Wednesdays takes care of that and and allows you to make plans. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And it's weird that we don't often stop to think about it. I mean, the week is the longest unit of time that's not at all dependent on nature. So it's pretty significant as far as a philosophical shift in our development. And in a way, it's like our way of saying that we're ready to stop solely depending on nature and instead begin to establish our temporal rhythms around a unit that we created. Hmm. And it is worth noting that there's no compelling evidence of any major seven-day biological processes in nature. I mean, there does appear to be a form of algae that's used to study circadian rhythm because it has exhibited signs of some seven-day biological rhythms. Hmm. But it's a bit of a stretch to think that it's played into how we think about time in any real way. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a stretch. All right, well, let's talk about the creation of the seven-day week. I, I know you did some digging into this with a ton of great help from our researcher, Autumn. So tell us what you know. Sure. Well, this could actually be its own episode because it's an interesting history. But to boil it down, it was really the result of early Jewish cultures and Babylonian astronomy syncing up. So let me explain. As you know, Judaism was focused on a seven-day cycle as depicted in the Torah, you know, seventh day of rest and all that. And and the other six days were really just days leading up to the Sabbath. Then you have the Babylonians who'd come up with the idea that the seven celestial bodies that moved across the sky, that they had certain effects on everything humans did. Five of these were planets as we know them now, and, and the other two were the sun and the moon, but still seven. So the Babylonians, they also had a seven-day cycle? No, I mean, at least there's no evidence of that, but here's how they came together. In the 2nd century BCE, the Alexandrians brought together three beliefs that were pretty firm at that point. The first was you've got these seven planets, which came in a particular order, and then you had the 24-hour day. And third, there's this idea that the planet that ruled the first hour of each day ruled the entire day. It didn't take too long for the set of beliefs to run smack dab into Judaism, and the two sets of beliefs synced up. By the end of the first century CE, the Sabbath, again, the only day that really mattered to the Jewish cycle, and the day of Saturn, just one of the seven planets in Babylonian astrology, were one and the same. And by the third century CE, the week was pretty widespread. Yeah, and the, and the seven-day cycle stuck and was gradually adopted by pretty much everyone, though this isn't to say that there weren't a couple of pretty big attempts to implement different systems. I was actually curious to see who tried to come up with better systems over time and found a couple of good stories that, to be honest, I'd, I'd actually forgotten about from history class. Oh, yeah. L like what? All right. Well, let's start. Let's start with the French Republicans after the French Revolution. During the revolution, assembly members decided to come up with a new calendar, still with 12 months, but they wanted to make the other time units as close to metric as they could. So each month had three 10 day weeks. Each day would have 10 hours divided into 100 minutes each, and each minute would have 100 seconds. I mean, it's actually so confusing to think about this. <laughs> then there would be five or six days left at the end of the year that would be reserved for a celebration. 
it is interesting to note that this system is very similar to what the Egyptians had created when they became the first civilization to create weeks. Which is all super interesting. And I so want to get in a time machine and witness those celebrations. Yeah, like, it too. sounds really fun. But you can see how that structure could make sense if it's what people had been used to. But given that they were used to a seven-day calendar with 24 hours per day, it was probably pretty confusing. Why they even attempt this? Well, there were a couple of reasons. I mean, the, the biggie beyond just being a more rational system as they saw it, it was that they wanted this very real new beginning, you know, kind of a, a break from the past. And obviously that didn't last forever. So how long did it last around? I honestly find it surprising that it lasted as long as it did. It was around 12 years and it was just too confusing for everyone, especially because so many refused to stop keeping track of the old calendar. You even find reports that when newspapers were required by law to quit publishing the old date alongside the new one, people were still using the old calendar to keep track of certain important dates and, of course, to observe their holy days. Mm -hmm. And many of them would take that day of rest along with the scheduled day of rest. And ultimately, there were just too many days with little significance in between these anchor days. And so finally, it was scrapped. I'm still confused that it lasted over a decade. Yeah, and, me and too. It makes me think about the attempts over the years to get Americans to convert to the metric system, like a system that actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But it's just way too hard to get people to move from something they're used to, especially if they don't see it as broken. And obviously that change was like politically loaded. Mm-hmm. But um, you were talking about the French, but you said there was another attempt. Yeah, that's right. So there were also the Soviets and they tried to change things up in 1929. And this was really more of an effort to increase production from the workforce. I I don't know if you know this, but the Soviets were kind of big on this idea of getting more out of the workforce. (laughs) I heard that. And as they saw it, the regular seven day week left machines and workers idle for two out of every seven days. And and that's just not efficient as they saw it. (laughs) I'll warn you, it is pretty crazy what they tried to do. I'm, I'm ready for it. All right, so they created these five-day weeks and sets of six to get these 30-day months. And months that had 31 days, well, they just made that another workday, which is so Soviet of them. (laughs) And that part so far you can follow, but the workers would have one out of every five days off. And here's where it gets a little crazy. All right, so instead of having some big anchor day like the Sabbath or a weekend, they just assigned one of the five days to each person as their personal day off. Each day was then assigned a color. And then people were assigned a color and a number, and the corresponding color was your day off. That sounds so confusing. I told you it was. It's crazy. (laughs) So did uh, families or groups of friends, like, did they all get the same day off? No, and that was a big problem. I mean, if you looked at people's address books, you'd see people having to keep up with when their loved one's days off were, and they'd have to write their colors next to each of their (laughs) names. It it was just so, so, so confusing. Yeah, I'm not that organized, and it's not surprising why why this wouldn't have lasted. I mean, people couldn't have their worship days together, which I guess matters less to the Soviets. But also, you know, what about just getting your family together and playing sports? Yeah, you're right. It was it was a big problem. So even though a year after it launched, the state was claiming that nearly three fourths of the workers were on this continual production week, it still didn't sit well with people because their families and social circles, they were being broken up. But did it meet their goal? Like, did it increase production? Well, that was one of the nails in the coffin, too. It it actually didn't really increase production, or at least not by much. Machines were wearing out, and they couldn't be fixed because they didn't have off days, and it was tough on workers. So Stalin then decided to put the plan on hold until all the issues could be worked out. And, you know, you'd think they would just go back to the seven-day week, but nope, not the Soviets. They they (laughs) couldn't accept the idea of going back to that, so they decided on a six-day week instead. And 
everyone had the same day off at least, but it was still nearly impossible to get everyone in rural areas to follow this new calendar. So by around 1940 or so, the Soviets were back to the seven-day week. Which sounds exhausting. Yeah, try explaining it. I actually think I need a break for a quiz. (laughs) When we decided to do this episode on the best day of the week, we were both reminded of this terrific book by Melissa Heckscher. It was called Be Safe, Simple Strategies for Death-Free Living. (laughs) And we were fortunate enough to get Melissa on the line to answer a few questions about our favorite parts of her book. Melissa, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Hi, thanks for having me on. Awesome. So, Melissa, before we dive into specifics, uh, I was curious, how did the book idea come to you? Were you always just worried about the possible ways you could die? (laughs) Actually, kind of. I'm sort of (laughs) one of those people that worries about everything. So, you know, when when it came to me, I was living in New York City at the time and doing a lot of driving and traveling by train and subway. And I just was always wondering every time I got on the subway what car I should get onto. Should I be in the back of the subway or the middle of the subway, you know, or when I was driving to and from Philadelphia where um, my parents live, I always wondered whether I should be in the middle lane or the right lane or these small choices that we make every day (laughs) to stay safe. And I was always thinking about it. So I wanted to do a little more research to find out the answers to those questions. And wasn't it Salvador Dali that used to like to ride in the front car yeah, the so, front that, car. so that he would get there earlier or get there first? <laughs> That's funny. That's pretty great. Well, the front car actually is the safest because it's where usually the conductor is. All right. Well, um, you know, this episode is on the best day of the week or asking the question, what is the best day of the week? And of course, we thought about you because several of your, your entries in this great book have to do, you know, with the best day of doing certain things. So we thought we'd ask you about a few of those. So I know you mentioned in the book the safest time to go to the bank. So tell us when that is. The safest time to go to the bank is really between Tuesday and Thursday um, in the afternoon. Because historically, bank robberies seem to happen on Fridays. And people think that's because that's payday. So I guess the bank robbers assume the bank is going to have so much more money on Fridays that (laughs) that's just when most bank robberies happen. So if you want to avoid them, just stay away from the bank on Friday morning because they also usually happen in the morning. Ah, that's funny. (laughs) How about the best day to order sushi? I love sushi. So this one was important to me too, especially (laughs) because I, I, around when I was writing the book is when I got pregnant. So I was extra careful with things like sushi. Um, So the best time to get sushi is on Friday, and that's because um, most fish markets are closed on Sundays, so you definitely don't want to get sushi on a Monday because the chances are that it's not a fresh delivery, so you're not getting the freshest fish that way, which means that you have a greater chance of possibly getting sick from that fish. Oh, that's interesting. That makes a lot of sense, though, when you say that. Well, here's one that wasn't on a specific day, but you addressed in the book the safest month to get elective surgery. And I thought this one was super interesting. It is interesting. Um, the safest, most most residents graduate in June, and so they start at their new positions at a hospital in July. Um, so the safest month is actually June because the older residents that have been there all year and they know the system, they know the routine, they know their peers, they've been there all year, whereas in July um, they're new. And so not to say that they can't do their jobs, but they maybe don't know, they're not used to working together, there might be a few more mistakes or errors that happen in July than, than happen in June. So if you can help it, schedule your surgery closer to, you know, maybe May or June and not July or August. 
There are a few parts of the book that weren't related to specific days, but were just so fun that we wanted to ask you about them. So uh, can you okay. tell us what's the safest room in a hotel? This one was a personal one for me, too, because I did a lot of traveling by myself. So I always was a little bit worried as to the safest place to stay, especially <laughs> as a woman alone. And the answer to that question is between the fourth and seventh floors, if you have a choice, if it's a high-rise hotel, and in no matter what kind of a hotel, near the elevator. And that's just because there's more foot traffic. And so you're safer being around a lot of people because if someone's going to break into your hotel room or approach you as you're entering your room, it's less likely to happen where there's a lot of traffic. And then as far as the floors, um, most fire ladders don't reach above seven floors. So if you had to be evacuated in the case of emergency, if you're on a really high floor, first, it's obviously, it's going to take you longer to get down if you're doing stairs. But um, if you had to be evacuated by fire ladder, it would be harder because the ladders don't always go that high. So fourth and seventh floors near the elevator and that's pretty much the safest place you can be. I think I need to change my strategy. Actually, when I get to a hotel, I often request a room away from the elevator just because it's noisy there, mm-hmm. but but I didn't realize how unsafe right. it was. <laughs> well, you know, it's a trade-off. You want a quiet room and you might not be as safe, but you yeah. know, can sleep better. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, there was one other that I that I saw here that I thought was just really interesting. And so so what is the safest stall in a public restroom? What's interesting about this question is that there's a lot of studies that have looked at this question. Um, there are scientists that have actually collected samples from bathrooms to just to figure out which stall is the dirtiest. And um, the safest stall has been determined to be the first one or the one closest to the door. And that's because most people like a little bit of privacy when they go to the bathroom, so they go a little further from the door. Um, the dirtiest one turned out to be the middle stall. Um, which you'd think it would be the furthest from the door, but it's actually the middle. Mm-hmm. And the safest, least germy room stall is um, the one closest to the door. So oh. that's the one. And it's usually also the one with the most toilet paper. So there's that too. <laughs> Bonus. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I, it's not surprising that there would have been several studies on this because I think it is something that everyone who's walked into a restroom has thought this before. And Bes- wants to know. Right, right. Besides that jerk that walks it's out true. without washing his hands. So. <laughs> right. Well, this is terrific. You know, this has always been a book that we've we've enjoyed flipping through and, and reading, even though it's been out for some time now. So I hope all our listeners will check out Be Safe, Simple Strategies for Death-Free Living. Melissa, thanks so much for joining us on Part-Time Genius. Thank you so much for having me. of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. 
because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. Now, before the break, we were talking about the attempts by the French and Soviets and others in history to move away from the seven-day week to other systems that were seen as maybe more logical. It's really interesting to see how they all failed. I mean, what would you say is the baseline reason none of them panned out? Well, there was obviously a big problem with the reason these new systems were put in place to begin with. I think they all underestimated just how disorienting the new structures would be. I mean, think about it. When you change up the length of a week, you throw off someone's social rhythm. I mean, what day of the week do I go to the market? Mm -hmm. You throw off their personal rhythm. So, you know, they were working six days in a row and then got a day of rest, and now they have to work nine before they get a day of rest. And then maybe most importantly, you throw off their religious rhythm. You know, people were used to worshiping on Sundays, and now suddenly Sundays don't even really exist anymore. Hmm. So it was just way too confusing and frustrating and, and frankly upsetting for these people. Well, and when you consider the Soviets, it feels like there was something even bigger going on by dividing time into five different calendars, they were really creating five different societies, all randomly assigned. Yeah, and all of this really threw off that temporal harmony that Zerubbabel talks about. And we can't underestimate the role of religion here. Think about how important a designated weekly holy day is for each of the major religions. Mm -hmm. You know, the Jews set themselves apart by establishing the Sabbath. Early on, Christians were actually observing both as they were Jews and Christians, and, and they were observing the Sabbath on Saturdays. And in their own day, which became Sunday, and eventually they just focused on Sunday in order to differentiate themselves. Yeah, and we see this with Muslims as well, with Muhammad choosing Fridays as the Muslim holy day. Exactly, and with all that set so firmly in stone, it's hard to see ever moving away from the seven-day week at this point. All right, well, that is some fascinating stuff, but I, I think it's time that we fast-forward several centuries and get to the big question of the day, and that is, you know, what are the best and worst days of the week? Well, why don't we start with the worst? And it didn't take Garfield telling us to guess what day most people think was the worst day of the week. Yeah, Mondays. But why Mondays? And what does science have to say about this? You were reminding me earlier about that uh, great Kathy Benjamin piece over at Mental Floss. Mm -hmm. And I think it was called something like Six Scientific Reasons Why Mondays Are the Worst. So why don't we start with that? Why don't we talk about that one for a minute? Sure. Well, one biggie that shouldn't shock us is if we think back to our sleep episode, Weekends really throw off our sleep patterns. I mean, it's funny because every time we go through a daylight savings time change, everyone complains about our body clocks being thrown off. But most of us are doing this to ourselves every single weekend. Like, we think we're doing ourselves a favor when we catch up on sleep, but in fact, we're just making it that much harder to wake up on Monday morning. Our body clocks are much more sensitive than we realize, and staying up a couple hours later and sleeping a couple hours later, like, that all throws us off a little. 
Once again, sleep is so annoying. <laughs> All right, well, what else did Benjamin say? Well, she also talks about the fact that because we often eat and drink and generally indulge more over the weekends, people tend to feel worse about themselves on Monday. There have even been studies of women to confirm that they feel less attractive on Mondays because of the weekend indulging. Hmm. And it's part of why people are more likely to start dieting on Mondays than any other day. Which does make sense. And what's also interesting is that people actually are less healthy on Mondays. As Benjamin writes, scientists have found that even people who generally maintain their weight weigh the most at the beginning of the week. Mondays are also the most common day for people to suffer heart attacks and strokes. Even if you don't end up in the hospital, your blood pressure is higher on Monday, as is your chance of getting sick in general. Wow. And, and doesn't she talk about people just not liking their jobs as well? Yeah, there have been a lot of polls showing that a strong majority of people are not big fans of their jobs or at least not that inspired by them. This is why you often see people experiencing feelings of depression or anxiety on Sunday evenings. They just don't want to go back to work. Oh, so the evidence really is stacking up against <laughs> Mondays, and, and I guess we shouldn't be shocked by this. Well, that may be true, but there's another part to it that may be the most interesting, and that's the fact that if you actually study people's moods throughout the work week, you don't necessarily find that they were feeling that much worse on Mondays than, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. But then if you ask them to recall their moods and their stress levels, they'll almost always report Mondays as being consistently worse. So a big part of it is that we're telling ourselves that Mondays are the worst. That is interesting, and I've actually been reading a little about this too, and that's where because we believe that Mondays are harder and more stressful and generally bluer than other days, we then retrofit our memories of Mondays to fit that expectation. So we mentally exaggerate some of the worst things we remember about Mondays to represent the entirety of Mondays. Our brains are pretty tricky. And as our researcher Autumn said in one of our conversations, the Monday blues are a form of social organization. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, it's not as though there aren't bad things about Monday. We talked about some of those. It's just that there's definitely a bit of a placebo effect going on here. And we exaggerate and we generalize certain memories and expectations about Mondays. All right. Well, then if we tend to view Mondays as worse, even though we don't necessarily actually always feel worse on Mondays, would you say there's a day that could rival Monday for the worst? Oh, definitely. There have been a couple studies to show that our moods may actually reach their lower points on Wednesdays. Part of this might be because we're feeling pretty overwhelmed at work. And it's when we're the furthest away from a weekend on both sides, you know, before or after. All right. Well, I feel like that's enough of the sad talk. So let's get to the best day of the week. And before we get to the science of it, I'm curious, what's your favorite day of the week, Mango? Uh, mine's Tuesday. Tuesday? And why Tuesday? <laughs> it's because I was born on a Tuesday, so I started paying attention to them. But then, uh, I, I don't know, like all the anxiety of Sunday and Monday is over and mm -hmm. they're low expectations. And I don't know, there's a full week ahead, it feels like. Oh, that's nice. Uh, how, how about you? I think I'd probably say Fridays because... You know, I have a busy week. We have all our recording on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I love doing that. But Fridays is kind of a day where you know we get to plan for the weeks ahead, think about future episodes, and then of course the weekend is ahead. You know, mm -hmm. so it's nice. I, I think those are my favorites. But but what do the studies say? Well, several studies show Saturday is the winner. It's the day where people feel they're free to do you know what they want with their time, at least more than other days, and they know they've got a whole other day of weekend ahead of them. So for the most part, people tend to experience Saturdays as better, both in terms of their actual moods and in how they remember their moods. Well, I mean, that said, don't you think there's still a little bit of the reverse Monday effect going on with Saturdays? Definitely. So while we do tend to actually feel better on Saturdays, we also tend to look back at our weekends with rosier glasses than we do our working time. And we tend to underestimate how rewarded we are by our work if we enjoy what we do. So, yeah, there's a bit of cultural bias going on there. All right. Well, what about Fridays? 
Yeah, this is probably why Fridays bring the highest mood of the work week. We're excited about the weekend, which we believe will be better than the work week. I mean, there's an entire restaurant chain named after the concept TJI Fridays. I got some of those chicken fingers. <laughs> well, before you go running off for some honey mustard covered chicken, we should probably play a quick quiz. And then I want to hear about the facts you found about the days we haven't said much about. All right. I think I can wait for that. So who do we have on the line today, Mango? Today we've got a very special guest, the owner of a wonderful comic book store in Baltimore, Gorilla King Comics, Ian Sayer. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. Hey, thank you. Well, just before we get started, we wanted to say we love the intro to your store on your site, and I'm just going to read it here for our listeners. It says, here at Gorilla King Comics, we believe that sequential art is the highest form of storytelling. We believe that gaily clad muscle men should pummel each other in the streets with lampposts and other large objects. <laughs> it's their right and it's their privilege. We believe that if comics are a religion, then your friendly local comic book shop should be like a church. We want to be your weird comics church. It's just such a warm and welcoming intro. Well, that's, that's how I feel about comics. It's, it's, it's as simple as that, you know. I mean, comics are, I don't know, they're kind of a religious experience for me. And like Wednesday is my Sabbath, you know. So today's show is about days of the week and comic book stores have Wednesday as a super special day. Uh, can you tell us what happens on that day? Yeah, I mean, Wednesday is new comic book day. If you love comics and look forward to reading the next one after you just read the last one, Wednesday is your day. Imagine if you could only watch TV like one day a week. You know what I mean? Like, that would be like your awesome TV day. Like, it's, it's that way for comics. So is there anything uh, unusual or super fun about the rhythm of the day? There's a lot. I mean, you know, it's, it's, since it's the busiest day, there's a lot of prep for it on Tuesday. Most people that are regulars, they keep uh, they keep a pull list with us, meaning we, we take all their books every week and set them aside and bag and board them for them. And they can just come in and they won't sell out. I see the same people every week, and, and I love these people. Like, we have this one guy. Have you ever seen that old Chris Farley routine where he's interviewing people? Mm-hmm. And he asked him, like, a simple yes or no question. Like, he's interviewing Paul McCartney. He's like, remember that part of the song where you said the love that you take is equal to the love you make? <laughs> and Paul McCartney's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, that was great. So all, of his, all of his, like, answers are like, yeah, that was great. Like, we have this one guy who'll come in and just be like, you remember that time that Wolverine, they thought he was dead in the sewers, and he came out of the sewers, and they killed everybody outside of the sewers, and his clothes were all ripped up. And he's like, nobody invented Wolverine. And like, yeah, I remember that. And he's like, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> and he's like, and like, I don't know, it is awesome. Like, I miss these guys over the course of the week, and then they come in, and it's like, oh, it's so and so, fantastic. And I have to know, do you sneak a peek at comics that come in on Tuesdays, or do you wait it out to enjoy it with your customers? Oh, no way. I, I read them as soon as I go home and have an uninterrupted hour. It doesn't really even feel like sneaking a peek. The way that um, our orders are set up, you kind of have to, if you're going to reorder a comic that's really good, you can only do it before a certain time on Wednesday. So you have to, like, immediately read them. Like, you know, if, like, say, you know, Storm is having a baby and you didn't know about it and everybody's going to want to reorder that book, you got to reorder it immediately. So... Yeah, so you kind of have to, like, read the books as soon as they're out. All right, so what's the game called today, Mango? It's called Name That Day. That's right, so we'll be providing you with a word bank of several days of the week. Now, these include Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We have intentionally left off Tuesday, so please don't guess Tuesday. Now, we're going to ask you a few questions and see how many you can answer. And just so you know, some of the answers repeat. All right, are you ready to get started? 
Yeah, sure. Okay, question number one. The nickname Hump Day was allegedly given to this day in 1965 when Roy Mann coined the phrase at a DuPont water cooler. What day are we talking about? I think Wednesday. Yay, one for one. Question number two. Nachos went mainstream after Howard Cosell commented on a tasty new snack he was eating during this night football. What night are we talking about? Would be Monday. Mm-hmm. That's right. Number three. This day was the day of the Last Supper. It's also Thor's day, and just in case you're trying to picture him, Thor is the one whose chariot is driven by goats. Thursday. <laughs> that one was kind of a gimme, but uh, that's right, three for three. Number four, this Adams Family daughter is called Little Wanda in Brazil. What day of the week are we talking about? Wednesday. Whoa, so, so Ian's already four for four. Let's see if he can get a perfect score here. Number five. This day gets the dubious honor of both having an Ice Cube movie and a Rebecca Black song named for it. What day of the week are we talking about? Definitely Friday. Five for five. <laughs> and the last question, number six. And because you like comic art, the Bengals weren't the only chart-topping band to sing about this manic day of the week. The Chipettes, Alvin, and the Chipmunks, Lady Friends, also covered the song. What day did they sing about? Monday. It's a classic. All right, so fun. Want to tell him how you did, Mango? So Ian scored an astounding six for six. He ran the tables, and uh, he'll be going home with our very top prize, a handwritten note singing our praises to his mom or boss. Congratulations, Ian. Oh, thanks a lot. of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com.
Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. All right, so we've talked a lot about Mondays and Saturdays and a little about Wednesdays and Fridays, but I think we need to show some love to the other days as well. Why don't you tell us a few facts that you found about each one? All right, let's do it. And I know we need to talk about the others, but I've got a couple more Monday facts here that I wanted to share. All right, so Monday is the safest day of the week to have surgery. Huh. So hopefully you'll remember to show up because it's also the day with the most missed medical appointments. <laughs> it's also the best day to apply for a job, meaning that a higher percentage of people who submit applications on Mondays tend to advance to the next stage than any other day. So Mondays are redeemed a bit. What about Tuesdays? Well, Tuesday is the day for getting stuff done in more ways than one. It's the most productive day at work, according to multiple studies. And this is in spite of or, or maybe because of the fact that it's also the day with the highest email volume. It's the most popular day for exercise, and it's apparently the best day to day trade. <laughs> I know you've been talking about getting into day trading, Mango, right? So maybe yeah. you can stop making Tuesday one of our recording days. So you can just focus on your day trading. <laughs> okay, good call. All right. Oh, but wait, actually, here's another study that showed Wednesdays have the highest returns and lowest volatility on the stock market. So maybe we'll let you focus on your stocks that day, too. But, and, <laughs> you know, all of this, despite the fact that, as we discussed, it tends to be the worst day mood wise, according to some studies. And what about Thursdays? Well, contrary to what most people think, it's Thursdays, not Tuesdays that are best for buying airline tickets. And that's a biggie. So let's just focus on that for Thursdays. Friday's the worst day to have surgery and the likeliest day to get fired. Oh, but, man. you know, hey, we're excited about the weekend, so who cares? <laughs> Saturday is the day you're likeliest to die in a car crash. But the good news is that you should just fly because Saturday sees the fewest flight delays. It's also the likeliest to inspire songwriting. That is, if you take the Christian hymns out of the equation, it has the greatest number of day of the week songs in the Amazon database. And finally, Sundays are the best day to get out on one of those long day trip car rides because it's the day with the fewest road passengers. All right. So there's some really good facts in there. And it's a shame you use so many of them up because you know what's next? Oh, don't worry. I've got some good ones for the part-time <laughs> genius fact off. Okay, well, why don't you kick us off then? All right, well, when I started the show about a story on Manic Monday, I decided to hold <laughs> off on sharing one bit. Do I need to read the lyrics again? That be no. Well, did you know that Prince actually wrote that song? It, it hit number two on the charts, and the only reason it didn't hit number one, another Prince-written song, one he wrote for himself, Kiss. So for the first 26 years of her existence, Wednesday Adams and the rest of her family didn't have names. The Adams family creator finally gave the family members names for the 1960s TV show. And her name reportedly came from the nursery rhyme, Wednesday's child is full of woe. Hmm. All right. Well, back to the topic of Mondays being a bummer. We can't have a fact off without a Garfield fact. So did you know that the syndicated strip is the Guinness World Record holder for being the world's most widely syndicated strip? No. It's in more than 2,500 newspapers and other places around the world. I've got a great Garfield fact, too. Did you ever notice as a kid that the voice of Garfield in all the TV specials in the 80s was the same voice as Peter Venkman from the animated show The Real Ghostbusters? I did. Well, I actually, <laughs> I knew it was the same person because I could hear it. I didn't know who it was, but yeah. Yeah, it's a guy named Lorenzo Music, but that's not really my fact. Turns out he's not the only one to have uh, voiced both characters. The other one is a little more famous. Bill Murray, of course, was the original Peter Venkman, but he was also the voice of Garfield in Garfield the Movie back in 2004. Oh, nice. All right. One of my favorite Rolling Stones songs, Ruby Tuesday, was written by Keith Richards about his girlfriend, Linda Keith. Hmm. 
apparently Linda had ditched Richards for Jimi Hendrix and got into some drugs and he tried to win her back and even got her parents involved, telling them that she was not doing well. I think, you know, when Keith Richards is trying to intervene, it may be time to cut <laughs> no back. Kidding. But it didn't go well and they didn't speak again for many years. And I'd love to do an interview with her, not about Keith Richards, because I just want to know how she feels about the fact that by the transitive property, there's also a giant restaurant chain with a big old salad bar <laughs> named after her. So speaking of uh, family restaurant chains, did you know that TGI Fridays may seem like a family establishment made for middle America, but it actually started out as a singles bar in Manhattan's Upper East Side? <laughs> in the mid-60s, this perfume salesman named Alan Stillman felt like there wasn't a good bar in the area that both men and women felt comfortable at. So he bought a bar on 63rd and 1st and renamed it TGI Fridays, and the rest is history. You've got to hear this quote. Stillman told Edible Geography, My timing was exquisite because I opened TGI Fridays the exact year the pill was invented. I happened to hit the sexual revolution on the head, and the result was that, without really intending it, I became the founder of the first singles bar. Oh, wow. Is yeah, that great? I, I can't beat that one, Manga. <laughs> the trophy is yours. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you out there for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. <laughs> Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eve Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? the question diamonds direct has an offer you can't miss this month only buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at two thousand dollars imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once no one provides education selection and value like diamonds direct your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at diamonds direct won't last long details at diamondsdirect.com your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.